stay calm, don't panic. You got this. Hey guys, it's season two. We're back. Back again. Yeah, I got Carly Duke sitting across from me here. I'm Chris Roby. We're so excited to get another chance at this podcast thing. Season one was a lot of fun. We interviewed a lot of guests that uh, really opened our minds to different ways to serve students and take care of them in this season. We got some great stuff ahead. Yeah, we're excited about the guests and the interviews um, and the content that we're bringing this next season. Um, But we're kicking it off today with Carrie Gurley. And we're excited about this next interview that you're going to hear today. Carrie's the executive director of Valiant Hearts, which was formerly We Are Cherished. And it's a nonprofit in the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, uh, whose vision is to uh, reach out to women caught in the midst of sexual exploitation and also offer freedom and restoration to everyone who's impacted. And so that could be anyone in that system is impacted. And they do a lot of work, um, and you'll hear talk about in this interview, kind of um, up, upstream or downstream. Basically, you know, the the women who are being exploited, trying to search out and um, deal with the roots of that exploitation, um, and not just the fallout, but trying to prevent it as well. Right. So today we're talking about dating violence, and um, which can be a heavy topic. But Carrie does a great job, and you'll hear that. Um, but just from her experience of working. Um, with people of the sex industry, trafficking, all kinds of stuff. She sees this all the time. So she was the great expert that was able to come in um, about a topic that I know I didn't know a whole lot about before we talked to Carrie. Mm -hmm. And she did a good job breaking it down for us and helping helping us understand uh, actions. And we'll talk a little little bit about that uh, towards the end. And speaking of that, we, our our format's going to be a little bit different this year. We're going to, our interviews will be a little bit shorter and we're also going to uh, spend a little time at the end kind of breaking down some of the content uh, for our listeners as well. So be sure to stick around after the interview uh, and after our promotion from Lubbock Christian University, who Lubbock's back on board with us this year. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so you'll, you'll hear uh, some information about Lubbock Christian right after the interview. And then Carly and I will jump in for a couple of minutes at the very end to uh, kind of talk about some so what's and kind of how we move forward with this topic. So don't cut uh, us off early. Yeah, don't cut us off early. You, you'll, you'll miss a lot if you do that. So uh, thanks for being back on board this, uh, this season. And uh, we will see you right after the interview with Carrie Gurley. so much for being here with us today and taking time out of your busy schedule um, and your organization. So to kind of start us off, briefly tell us about your ministry, Valiant Hearts, and your work um, with the sexually exploited, addicted. Kind of tell everyone what you do. We actually started working in the DFW area back in 2010, and our primary focus then was just on women who were being sexually exploited. So we began doing outreaches and support groups and surrounding these women to help them really move out of that lifestyle. So after doing that for five years, we really began to see that we needed to move upstream 
and really hit the demand issues and help men who were battling sexual bondage, as well as begin to reach the youth who are being targeted by this industry. So we expanded our vision, and we're now called Valiant Hearts. Uh, we were originally We Are Cherished. And it's been a pretty incredible year just to see how doors are opening for us to get that message out to a broader audience. Okay, so one of the reasons we got you here today is we want to talk about dating violence uh, amongst uh, teenagers and students. And you know, that, that term dating violence, uh, I would say is pretty new to me. Um, I might right. know it under different names, but tell me when we talk about dating violence, what does that mean to you? It, it kind of has the connotation that it's just about a physical, um, violence, but it's actually encompassing more than just a, and a physically abusive relationship. It can also include, uh, mental, emotional abuse as well as sexual abuse. So dating violence is a pattern of violent behavior that really is attempting to control another person through any of those means. Okay. Do you have any, like, I don't, um, for the podcast, maybe don't go into two specifics, but some specific examples of what do you see, especially with teenagers, what does dating violence look like um, for adolescents, for youth? It's really important that we define this, so I'm glad you asked that, because especially for the victim, it's really difficult for them to categorize themselves as someone who's being abused. Mm -hmm. Um, It's almost like a desensitization that happens, and so they don't consider the yelling or the threatening or name-calling, controlling through social media, you know, threatening to exploit them through those avenues as well. Um, Any kind of threats, I'll kill you, um, I'll kill myself, if you leave me, those Mm -hmm. kind of controlling messages Mm -hmm. um, are things that a teen would be experiencing if they are in a dating relationship that is is violent, as well as extreme possessiveness, um, you know, and then the physical violence as well. Right. Imagine this happens a lot through text as well. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And that's another um, sign as well is just that obsessive uh, texting that, you know, the boyfriend or girlfriend requires this, you know, instant response all the time and mm-hmm. they nonstop are texting or Instagramming or whatever. So. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So how prevalent would you say this is uh, amongst teenagers? Uh, This is probably shocking to people that are new to this term, Mm -hmm. but there are nearly 1.5 million high school students nationwide that are experiencing physical abuse from a dating partner in a single year. Physical. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's not counting the emotional, all the other things that you were talking about. Wow. And just in Texas, 75% of youth have personally experienced dating violence or know someone who has. Hmm. So this is prevalent even in our state. My goodness. Got to let that soak in for a second. That's, yeah, I know. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. And who is mostly affected by teenage dating violence? Is there a specific person or group of people that experiences more than others? Right. Really, you, you look at what are the vulnerabilities that would um, open someone up to this type of relationship. One being, of course, the just the downbreak of the American family. Mm-hmm. Um, when there's not mom and dad in place so that there's that support system. Um, If there's a history of abuse in the home, they're way more likely to experience that in a dating relationship as well. Um, Just being unsupervised or neglected. um, Teens who are more prone to low self-esteem, isolation, 
uh, those type of vulnerabilities would make someone more open to that. Okay, so that's some of the, uh, I guess, uh, indicators. Um, talk, let's talk a little about preventative factors for uh, a teenager. Um, how can they pr- protect themselves from being in a, a violent relationship? I think this is so important. One of the main things that I feel is is really going to help a youth who um, may be already even susceptible or vulnerable to these things is to recognize that if you keep your relationship out in the open, you know, maybe you're not going on individual dates, but you do group dates so mm-hmm. that there are other people around you at all times. Um, being able to talk to other people about your relationship, if you begin to see yourself not really sharing, you know, about your relationship with your friends or your family or people at school, then there may be a reason. So I would encourage um, youth that, first of all, you don't have to do this model of dating alone. You can actually just go out with your friends and all be together, get to know each other, but you're in a safer environment when you're not alone. Hmm. So that would be one of the main things that you could do. Um, And the other is to just keep people in your life that really care about you, that you know are for you, and keep communication open with them about your relationship. So kind of moving to the parent role, what boundaries or what can parents do to prevent? So not just the teenager, but what can families, people that love them, how can they help? Well, I am a mom. Uh, I have a 16-year-old son right now and a 20-year-old daughter, and so this is really important to me um, as we've been navigating these relationship dynamics as well. Um, One of the things is I do require that my kids stay in groups. Um, If my son, who happens to have a girlfriend right now, they're never alone. We always have either with her family or with me so that there's just not that dynamic to begin with where they're alone. That's Mm -hmm. just going to be a basic thing that all parents could do. Um, Second is do not feel like as a parent that you have to respect um, privacy with your child when it comes to their social media, their cell phones, things like that, have an agreement that you have access to check on those things. Um, I think that sometimes parents feel like they they are crossing some boundary by checking their child's phone or social media accounts. But um, just the world we live in today, because there is greater access that other people have to our kids, we have to make sure that we are granting ourselves the same access. Mm-hmm. Um, The other thing is to have open communication with your kids, and that requires listening and observing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really easy to talk as a parent and to give a lot of advice, um, but I really encourage parents to listen and to observe. Uh, You're going to see patterns in your kids that may be changing or shifting uh, when they're in a relationship that you want to be aware of. Mm -hmm. It almost seems too like, you know, if you, as a parent, if you're observing, is also being willing to, I guess, act on what you see, right. you know, because I, th- I think it's easy to, to look at your kid, like surely not my kid, right. you know, this happens to someone else, not me. And then, yeah. and then just explain it away as nothing's going on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for parents, you know, or anyone who's in uh, a influential relationship with a teenager, if they suspect that there's dating violence in a relationship, what's, how can they help? And what's the best thing that they can do? Um, if you are a friend or a family member or a teacher, a mentor, um, first of all, understand that you have a place in 
this child's life and you have a voice, um, whether that be because they have turned to you or they've connected with you in some way, or just because you have a view into their lives, um, you have the ability to influence. So first of all, just know that you may be in their lives for a reason. And so never underestimate the power of influence that you may have in their life, just because you care. First of all, I would say, um, it's really important to listen and to be supportive. If someone does show these signs and they're open with you about what they're experiencing, they need to feel like they can tell you what they need to tell you and they're not going to be judged. Mm-hmm. It's really easy when you're not in that situation to go, well, how could you put yourself in that situation and you should know better, right? And that is not what they need at the, at the moment. They need to feel like, what they're sharing is going to be heard and they're not going to be judged as they're opening up. Um, so that's the first thing is just to try to remember to listen and be supportive. Um, even if you don't understand mm-hmm. what they're experiencing. The second thing is to try to connect them with resources immediately to help them get informed. Again, it's very difficult for someone in that situation to really understand the magnitude of what they're actually experiencing. So if you can give them some resources and let them kind of seek it out for themselves, um, it's going to help them to really believe what's happening to them is not okay Mm -hmm. if they see it for themselves. Um, One great resource online is called Mm loveisrespect.org, and that has some great uh, resources for anyone who's working with, with youth that may be in this type of situation. Um, the other thing, this is just a basic um, safety guard for someone who may be in a violent relationship. Uh, the most vulnerable time is when they're actually trying to exit the relationship. Hmm. So it's really important that as their friend or family member that you don't post their locations on social media. Just basic things so that um, this boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't have access to where their location is. Um, So it's basic things like that that could really help them in that transition time if they do decide to get out. Um, The other thing is to keep yourself connected. Even if they continue to go back into the relationship repeatedly, don't disconnect. Allow them to know that they're not going to lose you in the process and that you still believe them Um, It's very difficult to get out of that kind of controlling relationship. And I've heard before that it takes seven times for a woman to leave an abusive relationship, Hmm. that she'll leave seven times before she actually leaves. Hmm. So just realize that it may take a consistency on your part uh, to stay engaged and connected. I think it's good for our our listeners to hear that, that this isn't always just an immediate thing. No. Yeah. Let me back up real quick. Um, You know, if if me as a helper suspects that there is violence going on in a relationship, um, I guess what I'm thinking about is how direct are your questions mm-hmm. during that time? Because I know when uh, you know in in the areas of suicide, like they they really encourage you just to act, ask the question directly. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Right, you right. know that's that's very right. that's kind of the common practice now. Mm-hmm. In this situation, how direct would you be with someone who you suspect if they've not come out with it yet, but you, right. you're like, something's going on? Mm-hmm. How direct or what, what would be the best way to ask that? I think, uh, first of all, you're 
uh, you must have been observing some signs Mm -hmm. that kind of led you to believe that they may be in a situation that's compromising them. So if you've noticed uh, bruises or marks on them, um, if you have noticed that they are excessively, you know, texting nonstop, um, maybe you've noticed a change in in just their mood. They're anxious or depressed. Um, If they've stopped participating in extracurricular activities, things that are kind of typically things that they would be passionate about and they've cut off from that. um, Those are some of the signs that would make you wonder Uh if they might be in an unhealthy relationship. So I would start with those questions, addressing the behaviors that you've noticed Um, If you are a mentor or a teacher even, um, or even just a friend and say, hey, I've noticed that, you know, I keep seeing these bruises on your arms and, you know, what's, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you used to love basketball, like, you know, what made you decide to step away from that? Mm -hmm. Begin to let them talk and see if they'll open up. Um, That would be the first approach. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's more serious and you feel like they're in danger um, and you feel like you need to act pretty quickly, then I would be more direct and mm-hmm. say, I am concerned that you are in an unhealthy relationship and I'm, I don't know if you need help. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would definitely be more direct, but I would take first of all the signs that you're seeing and begin to ask some questions based on that. Mm-hmm. Going back to that, you talked about some resources earlier, but if someone, if you're suspecting that they are really in danger, that they're not admitting it, that you're kind of at your lat, like your wits end of, okay, now what do I do? Where do they turn? How do they get that person help when maybe they don't even want help? Right. Um, again, the, the website that I um, shared with you earlier is going to have a lot of resources for you, but you may be at a situation where you're going to have to contact law enforcement. Um, the issue being, if the individual isn't willing to speak out themselves, then there's not a lot that law enforcement can even do. Um, One thing that would be important as well as someone who's trying to help would be to check out the, um, your personal state. We're in Texas, obviously, and and Texas has laws regarding this, Um, but know your own state's laws and what they can do. Because in Texas, you can, it's free to get a, a restraining order put in place that could restrict their access. And so those are things that if they would be open to speaking to law enforcement, you could act quickly to get them safe. Mm-hmm. And so that would be another thing I would encourage you to do is to know your own state laws regarding dating violence. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's say that as you as a helper, you didn't help and there's long-term um, violence. What are some of the effects on a person after they have experienced uh, dating violence? Uh, this is again, this is very common for um, the the things that I've seen with the women that we work with. Um, you're going to see anxiety, depression, potential substance abuse, um, just for numbing purposes, mm-hmm. withdrawal, um, isolation, fear, um, all of those things. Self harm can be a part of that. Um, a lot of the the things that a person is going to be experiencing once they leave that relationship is almost like a continuation mm-hmm. of the abuse they were experiencing. Only now it's internal, mm-hmm. um, and they're actually doing it to themselves. Um, 
so it's very important. It's such a critical time that whoever the caregivers, the the parents, the friends that that there is a support team around this person. If they have made that courageous decision to get out of that situation, they're going to need a lot of support for a while. Their self-esteem, um, identity has been affected through this. And most of the time they've pulled away from their relationships and they're not engaging in the things that used to give life to them, whether mm-hmm. that be their church youth group or their, you know, sports team. So it's really important that they're not alone as they walk through that season. Mm-hmm. How do you think schools can do a better job of educating teenagers and youth about dating violence to kind of bring awareness and help prepare them for these preventative measures you were talking about? What can the schools do? I think first of all, again, it's just to realize that as educators, you have influence and you can use that influence um, to really affect change uh, for a lot of our, our youth. The second thing is in the state of Texas, this is required now to cover in curriculum that we actually are educating youth about dating violence. So as a teacher, even if you wanted to make special projects, um, research, you know, things like that, that you could tailor towards this issue, um, that would be amazing just to begin to raise the awareness and the education ahead of time um, for youth. And then again, knowing that there are curriculums available that you could put in place in your school. You could go to school administration and say, in the state of Texas, we're required to do these Mm -hmm. things. Here's some ideas and I'm willing to help. You know, that would be one thing is just, again, to use um, the resources that are available already. And I would say too, just um, as an educator, be educated yourself and what the warning signs are, and what are some resources in your area. So research your own cities and find out what what organizations are already in place that I can begin to partner with so that we already have a plan in place if this issue comes up. And I think we worked in schools long enough to know that just because it's mandated by the state does not necessarily right. mean that it's happening. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. Know? But but I think educators need to hear that, that, that you know, it's good to ask, is, are, are, there, are there programs in place now that will educate our students on dating violence? Yes. And if there's not, then... Then, then that needs to be addressed. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean anyone's doing something wrong, but I mean, there's right. just so much to keep up with. There's and, so much. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the church for a second. Um, I know as a nine year youth pastor, um, I never talked about this. Right. Um, this was not on my radar screen at all. And I would mm-hmm. say a lot of the pastors that I work with um, are just now becoming aware of the issue. Right. Um, how can churches do a better job of of supporting uh, teenagers in this in this area? The church is going to be a very important resource in addressing this because I believe that churches have a platform, uh, unique platform into the whole family unit. So we can start there by encouraging the churches to just address some of the family dynamics that would leave children vulnerable mm-hmm. and begin to really surround families um, and encourage healthy communication and connection with your children. The second thing is 
like you said, just the church has to acknowledge that this is an issue mm-hmm. and begin to educate themselves. Um, I encourage church leaders to bring in organizations to speak to their staff that may already be in their city trying to combat this. Um, allow them to come in to a staff meeting and just educate your staff and start there. Hmm. The next thing would be um, to believe the victim. If they are brave enough to come and share with one of the pastors or their youth ministers or their mentor, or even in their small group, a lot of these outcries will come when they're actually removed from the relationship, maybe at church camp for a week. Hmm. They'll finally feel like they can say something. Um, So when a child does come to you and tells you that this is happening, believe them. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. And then begin to look for the resources available. Um, Offer support and encouragement to the individual as well as the family. Mm. Because the family is going to need help in knowing how to walk through this, not just the individual. And then be willing to to mentor them through the healing process. Mm-hmm. The church is uniquely positioned to walk with people through healing. So I, I feel like that would be a great uh, partnership for the church with the local organizations who are trying to help with this issue. And just a quick follow-up question to that. Um, and this is more just an anecdotal observation, but you know, in your, in your experience, when a teenager or anyone, anyone comes up to you and um, confides in you about a, right. a, a violent relationship. Have you ever, how often have you found that not to be true? Like where it's not, cause you talked about believing right. the victim, you know, and I, and, and I know in youth ministry, sometimes the, the pastor deals with, deals with cer- certain students that it's always something. Right. Right. And so, and I'm not, and that's not to cast dispersions on anyone, mm-hmm. but just knowing how pastors think sometimes, does it happen very often where someone comes to you and says, I'm, I'm in this horrible relationship Mm -hmm. that is not true. Mm -hmm. I would say as, um, as a pastor, I would encourage you to believe them a hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. You're never going to go wrong believing them. Mm -hmm. If you don't, the risk is much greater. Right. So I encourage you to believe them a hundred percent of the time. And as you begin to walk with them and invest and spend time, if they have fabricated a story, Typically, there is a story, mm-hmm. and that may not be the one, but they may be testing you mm-hmm. to see how you'll respond. And that's one thing I do tell. I just did a trauma training with our mentors over the weekend, and you never get the real story the first time. Mm-hmm. You get a, a an appetizer <laughs> portion mm-hmm. of the real story, mm-hmm. because many times victims are going to test you to see how you'll handle that information before they'll divulge the entire story. And if they're traumatized... They might not even have a full view of the story themselves. Not at all. Anyone who's experienced trauma, their memories are always going to be fragmented. Mm -hmm. There's no way because it immediately shuts off that part of your brain when you're in fight, flight, or freeze Mm -hmm. mode. And so the ability to recall uh, a full story and all the facts is not even physically possible Mm -hmm. for someone who's experiencing trauma. So it... That's another thing I think that's very important for anyone trying to help a victim to know their story may not add up. It may not make sense, but the pieces that they're able to recall, that's probably all that they really can give Mm -hmm. you. And as they get into a safe environment, they'll be able to recall more of the the facts, but that takes a while. And they're not trying to be intentionally dishonest or deceptive. No, that's just truly all that Mm -hmm. they're able to access. Yeah, gotcha. 
This has been great. Mm-hmm. I thought that this whole interview, your advice, the things that you're bringing up, um, is something that I've been aware of, but really haven't been able to dive into and kind of do the research that obviously you do with your organization. Right. Um, so thank you for your perspective. Um, we have two final questions that we ask every person. So first of all, what is the one thing you would like a teenager um, who is in the past or is currently dealing with dating violence? What would you like for them to hear from this podcast today? It's the same message. Um, every time I go uh, into the strip clubs to meet with the women that we, we work with, my message to them is you are loved, you are valued, you are cherished. You are so precious and you should be treated as such. And it's difficult to have a grid for what that experience should be like if you have not known that. So a lot of times when I talk to victims, I ask them, this relationship, what you're experiencing, would you want your best friend to be in this relationship? Would you think that would be good for her? Because many times they cannot even personalize what they're experiencing. So that's what I would say to to a teen that's dealing with this. Please don't be alone. You are so valuable. We truly want to help you and surround you and let us. Mm-hmm. So who, what would you say to uh, any helper in, in a helping situation, the kind of the thing you, you want them to take away from this conversation today? First of all, be a safe place. If someone opens up and shares this, it took a lot of risk for them to do that. And so they obviously trust you and you have a voice in their lives if they opened up to you. So this is the time to offer support and encouragement, not necessarily, you know, your wisdom and judgment and and those things just be a safe place right now and stay connected no matter what. The academics at LCU, they're very strenuous, but they're worthwhile. I would honestly say that the academics are top-notch. Being in small classrooms and getting to have those personal relationships with your professors really enhances um, the academic environment and academic experience. It's very easy to learn when you have professors who genuinely know you and genuinely care about your growth intellectually. Believe, belong, be blue at Lubbock Christian University. So Chris, what um, is the one thing that just right off the top you thought, wow, that was interesting, or wow, I wasn't, I didn't know about that before. What really hit you from this interview with Carrie? I think towards the, uh, right at the beginning, she talked about the definitions are really important when it comes to dating, dating violence, because the word violence uh, denotes something physical, right. in my mind at least, that you know, there's, some, there's some kind of physical violence going on in that relationship. But she expanded that to help us understand that it was really I guess more anything that's unwanted persistently, like any kind of action, whether it's texting, whether it's communication that's not asked for, whether it's um, verbal abusive language that's over and over repetitive in that in that relationship. Um, to me, that's uh, that 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 changes things quite a bit because it also, I guess, expands the. Um, this can happen a lot more. 
than we realize with that definition. And so I think for, for some, they might hear that and say, man, is, is that, is that overdefining things is that making it where everyone is dating it? Because I mean, think about relationships. We all say things that are stupid right. and irresponsible and hurtful. But I think that persistent, that persistence part of the definition is where it's key. Exactly. Of it's not just a one-time thing of, I probably have, I know I've said stuff to my husband that like, wasn't necessarily what I meant, but if it's persistent, if it's happening all the time, if it's coming from a place of wanting to control, mm-hmm. I think that's where it gets more into the dating violence term. Yeah. And control is the big thing there. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the things she talks about a little bit later is that, uh, the texting issue, kind of the over texting issue. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a, there's a, a big movement on that. One, one that I've seen is called, uh, I believe it's that's, that's not cool.com basically, or it's not okay. No, it's not okay is the bullying one. That's not cool is the over-texting deal. So it's, it's becoming a bigger issue with teenagers that, you know, there are uh, relationships where the teenager can't go to sleep at night because their boyfriend or girlfriend is texting them just multiple times and they can't ever stop. Can't shut it off. They can't shut it off. And then their, their boyfriend or girlfriend gets mad if they don't text back immediately. So this control happens over digital medium, over text. And so that's just another part of that dating violence thing that we have to be watching out for is those different places that it seeps in the relationship. Right. Well, I think one thing that I kind of struggled with a little bit, and not that I think she was right on target, but that this is something that you have to have patience with. Mm Mm-hmm. That I think she said seven times mm-hmm. is the average that they'll continue to go back to that relationship. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, as a helper, that's hard. Of uh-huh. How do you help someone and continue to help someone and have patience and love for them when they're not necessarily willing to get themselves help at that moment? Even if they want that in the long term, that they're going to keep going back to that relationship. And I think that's something that is hard for people that you're watching someone that you love get trapped in a relationship that's not healthy. Well, and I think working with a teenager already demands our patience <laughs> just yes. in, a, in a normal, healthy situation, <laughs> you know, uh, but to work with a, a student who is in an abusive relationship, um, really, we need to address that part of ourselves as we are working with that teenager that are, I'm already stretched on this mm-hmm. and to think I, I need to be in this for the long haul. And, and it, almost go into expecting to be disappointed right. and expected to be let down by when they go back and they go back and they go back and try to evaluate what are my lines here? What, 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 what's too much for me? And can I push myself beyond that, you know, to, to stay with them as they try to get out of this relationship? Exactly. So from this interview, what do you think, what are our next steps of what do we tell helpers? Okay. You listen to this. This is a problem with teenagers. It might even be happening to your teenager if you're a parent. Mm-hmm. Now what? Well, we can't be in denial. That's that's one of the things that um, I heard her talk about a lot is that it's it's easy to think, not my kid. Exactly. This is someone else. Um, this doesn't happen uh, to explain away behaviors, you know, marks on the body, uh, changes in attitudes, temperaments, uh, you know, even routines where... They do one thing and find a lot of joy in one thing, and then all of a sudden, they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if they've recently gotten into a relationship with someone, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. Uh, that it can be your child. 
it yeah. can be. And to, to, to start with that, like, no, this can actually happen and, and, and be willing to be at that place. I think if you're willing to, to accept that this could happen, then that makes you, lets you be a lot more open to what is going on. Mm-hmm. I also heard her talk a lot about that. We need to talk about this churches, schools, in our curriculum, and our youth groups, even at home, that this can't be a taboo subject that mm-hmm. we're just going to pretend like dating violence doesn't exist. So this has to be something that we talk about with teenagers as adults that we discuss of what are we seeing, what are the terms. And so I love that Carrie Gurley is willing to kick off this conversation for us. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about uh, towards the end was just how do you, how direct can you be in these conversations? You know, it's, it's easy to tiptoe around it. And depending on your, your relationship with that student and the circumstances, um, you know, you want to be sensitive to what, uh, what they're going through, but also just to be observant. And if you see a mark on their arm or you see, or you observe a change in behavior, let your intuition guide you on that. Trust yourself on that and, and, and ask because, because you are, you are noticing something is different. And so asking, Hey, I noticed that you've not eaten dinner the last three nights. Right. You know, anything going on, we can talk about, uh, and continue and not, not to pressure, but just to continue to let them know that you notice that, mm-hmm. that it's not, it's not a, um, they're not alone. And even if, even if they're not willing to talk about it, you're continually putting out there. I'm, I see something that's going on exactly. even without just saying, Hey, you know, cause you might not know, but asking and asking and asking will eventually hopefully pull the truth out on that. The Don't Panic Podcast is produced by Teen Lifeline and Ricky Lewis. Your hosts are Chris Roby and Carly Duke. The intro music you heard today comes from Under the Chandeliers. You can find them on SoundCloud or Spotify, so go take a listen. If you want to check out today's notes and resources, visit our website, don'tpanicpodcast.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Don't Panic Talk. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't panic. You've got this.